0: Hello and welcome to PwC's Talking Tax podcast. I'm Marissa Thomas, PwC's Head of Tax. After much anticipation of 500 days since the last budget, the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, delivered the government's budget on Wednesday the 11th of March, just 27 days into his new role. PwC's tax experts, and we have many, economists and industry specialists have been poring over the budget, and today we're going to provide you the analysis you need to know. We can't cover everything, so if you would like to see more analysis and have more of our insight from our experts, please visit pwc.co.uk forward slash budget. I'm delighted to be joined today by John Richardson, Head of Tax Policy at PwC. Welcome, John. Thank you. And Gavin Barwell, former Chief of Staff to Theresa May, former Housing Minister and currently a Strategic Advisor to us at PwC. Welcome, Gavin. Thanks, Professor. Great to be with you. A few comments from me before we start. This budget was pitched as the first in a trilogy of fiscal statements we will see this year and clearly had to undergo a series of rewrites. It became an emergency budget in all but name, large promises of spending. It was a budget of two halves, the first being a package of emergency measures to address impacts of COVID-19, delivered with a rather sombre tone. And the second being a more traditional budget focused on high infrastructure and R&D investment to boost longer term growth. Starting with the focus on the COVID-19 pandemic, the Chancellor said the outbreak would have a significant temporary impact on the UK economy, a view that's widely shared. He then set out a three point plan that included a 12 billion fiscal stimulus to deal with health and economic effects. The Chancellor promised to give the NHS the people and resource they need to deal with the pandemic, to support people who are off sick, uh, not unable to go to work, and also a series of measures for small businesses. Look, Gavin, can we, can we start with looking at and hearing your insight on political context, fiscal context behind this budget? What does it mean?
1: So this was obviously the, the first budget for the new government after the election. Uh, but actually listening to it, it almost felt more like a pre-election budget to me. We we kept hearing the Chancellor saying this is a government that delivers on its promises and gets things uh, done. Now, I think once we got through the sort of emergency section on COVID-19, to me, the most striking thing was this huge increase in public spending. And actually to hear a conservative Chancellor of the Exchequer boasting that government spending was going to grow twice as fast as the economy as a whole. I don't think... You do heard Philip Hammond uh, saying that. Uh, so it was a, that's a big significant change and it's about delivering on the government's ambitions to level up our economy so that all parts of the country see equal uh, opportunity. That's the real political context, I think, behind the second half of the budget.
0: So look, quite a policy shift when it comes to public spending, particularly for a Conservative government, but less, I think, of a policy shift or even evolution around tax, John. Any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it's very much uh, a budget as expected and sort of anybody listened to our podcast predictions, we talked a lot about them there. But so, you know, there were no major policy policy announcements, no tax rabbits popping out of hats. So, you know, basically what the Chancellor did was just deliver on the pledges that had been put in the manifesto. So the freezing of the corporation tax rate, the increase in national insurance, restrictions on entrepreneurs relief and uh, some... Extra incentives around um, R&D and business allowance uh, structural business allowances. So that was very much as expected. I think one thing I would draw out, and you know, like all budgets, um, it's not until you go through the reams and reams of paper that comes out uh, associated with it. You know, one of the bigger numbers in terms of tax raising was around anti-avoidance, um, so over a billion a year in a couple of years' time. You know, he did mention around uh, more HMRC personnel to sort of focus on that, but also there's mention as literally one line deep in some of the papers around a couple of consultations that were expected to come out around revising the tax promoter scheme and also a call for evidence uh, around tax advice industry on the back of the Amos Morse report that came out pre-Christmas. So overall though very much uh, as we expected.
0: So yeah, aligned with what we expected, aligned with manifesto promises, what was missing
2: yeah, you know, I think you know the the areas that the more controversial areas maybe in terms of policy sh- shift, you know, largely have played out in the media over the last few weeks. So it wasn't a great surprise that we didn't hear you know about changes to pensions or a new taxes around wealth taxes or mansion taxes, you know, because he's obviously given the triple lock, so he couldn't do much on rates. You know, one area maybe that we were expecting to hear something about, and actually there was nothing at all anywhere in the detail or the speech itself was on inheritance tax especially given uh the ots had a report on that around simplification of that and there was actually not a mention of it at all i guess the other thing that didn't get a mention which was not a surprise was around the freeports when we know this is the prime minister's uh personal sort of favorite so as we as again as we said in our predictions podcast we probably didn't expect to hear anything but that doesn't mean anything that about uh, we won't get it because there's a consultation out there at the moment so that runs until April and I think we'll hear more about that in due course.
0: All right, thanks, John. Uh, Gavin, can we turn to productivity now? I mean, an ongoing issue for the UK and much of the developing or developed world. Uh, and in fact, we touched on this in our last podcast. Did we see any measures in the budget to supercharge productivity?
1: Yeah, there, there, was, there was a significant amount there. I mean, the, the starting point was the backdrop, which was the OBR once again downgrading its assessment of productivity in our economy. And this has been a problem for a long time, really, since the financial crisis. I think there are probably three things the government can do to try and address the problem. And in two of those areas, I think we saw really big announcements, one less so. So on the positive side, first of all, uh, in terms of um, investment, capital spending, uh, public net investment will in real terms be the highest at the end of this period. It's been since 1955. And there was was quite a powerful figure the Chancellor used. He said, if you take the average amount we've invested over the last 40 years in real terms, we're now tripling that. Uh, So that gives you an idea of scale there. And on uh, research and development, investment in the ideas of the future, uh, we're going to see the fastest year-on-year growth in that spending. So I think in those two areas, really radical policies that were part of this big fiscal injection uh, into the economy. I think the area where there was uh, less in this budget was on skills. So he reiterated the government's pledge on school funding. There was some extra money for specialist math schools for 16 to 19 year olds. And there was some capital spending to improve the further education estate. But those measures don't feel up to the the challenge that we face as a country in terms of upskilling our workforce. And it'll be interesting to see whether we hear more about that in the spending
0: review yeah certainly our CEO survey for the last two years has pointed to CEO's concerns about do they have the right skills in their workforce, do they have the right agility in their workforce? It's been their number one issue, and uh, on the back of technology revolution, so yeah a, a surprise that they've not started to tackle that john c- can i can I come now to net zero carbon taxes? you know, we're seeing a growing interest, understandably, in environmental taxes and how they, the, the part they were playing, climate change and decarbonisation. What would you point out as the key measures in this space that we saw on the 11th?
2: Um, well, anybody that uh, listened to the budget yesterday can't have helped but notice the phrase getting it done. Uh, and I think it was mentioned actually 13 times. When it comes to climate change, I think we're only right on the start of that journey in terms of getting it done. You know. And in, you know, I think we mentioned before in our in our predictions podcast that, you know, what we expect to hear in this area is a sort of constant drumbeat of different policy announcements. And this was the start of it, um, you know, because we've got COP26 coming up at the end of the year. So I think we expect to hear more. We've got the um, Treasury doing their analysis of the costs of that. So we did get a... Um, a bundle of different um, initiatives um, covering various areas, from taxes and climate levies through to various investments. But at the same time, it was a bit contradictory because we had a, a bunch of sort of uh, areas and initiatives that uh, help in the climate change. But at the same time, we had fuel duty frozen and we had the biggest investment in road building that we've ever seen. So, in some ways, it was a bit of a contradictory budget from a green green tax side.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. Before we close, Gavin, just one thought for you. Uh, the business relief measures aimed at uh, helping with our potential COVID-19 issue, very much aimed at small businesses, as I said, but our but large businesses will also suffer and feel pain as a result of the economic fallout. What, what mechanisms do, do the government have ahead of the autumn budget to extend or provide relief to larger businesses, larger employers?
1: Yes, I think it's a, it's a fair critique. Um, it's politically obviously much easier uh, to provide help to small and medium businesses than large ones. Um, but it'll be interesting to see whether the government makes use of some of the regulatory tools that it's got, whether actually some of the key regulators will ease off on some of the pressures on certain issues over this, what, what the Chancellor described as a, a temporary period while we're dealing with this issue. You know, I liked the the rhetoric he used. He talked about Trying to build a bridge that would help businesses get through what he said was going to be a significant impact but a temporary one. And I think it's really important going forward that he makes sure that that bridge is there for large businesses on whom a significant number of jobs depend as well as for small and medium ones.
0: Yeah, thank you. Look, thanks to both of you, John and Gavin, for your contribution to this Talking Tax episode. As I said, this is a budget of two halves, a package of emergency measures to mitigate the temporary impact of COVID-19, and a more traditional budget focused on longer term growth. It resulted in one of the largest spending packages we've seen for 30 years. I've no doubt that over the coming months there will be additional measures taken and announcements made that uh, we'll have insight to provide on, so please do stay tuned and look out for further episodes in the future. If you'd like more details about what we discussed here and other topics related to the budget, please visit pwc.co.uk forward slash budget. Thank you. Hey